You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. I've got AJ Vickery with me today. Hello. Thanks for coming on the program. You bet. I'm pretty excited, uh, AJ. We are going to be talking a lot about AI today. Scary. It is a little scary. <laughs> uh, we're going to be talking with Carmi Levy uh, out of Toronto. He's our tech expert out there. Chat GPT, which has uh, been taking the world by storm over the past six months. And if you haven't heard about this yet, you've probably been living under a rock. It's uh, a, an artificial intelligence tool that for now you can access for free on the web and it can write you songs, essays, it can answer math problems. It could do this radio show. Uh, it could write a script for the radio show. It is incredible all the different things that it's uh, capable of. Well, they've just announced chat GPT-4 the latest incarnation, and it's getting spooky good. So previously, you know, I think it could write up to like a 3,000 word essay. Now it can go up to like 25,000 words. And so I, I, I tried it one time, write me an essay about the history and founding of Canada. And I, I got to tell you, AJ, it was, and I asked it to cite sources as well. Wow. Like a bibliography. Yeah. It was good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is it going to get me a, an A in university? No. But I, I could say, sure? <laughs> I would say, you know, in K to 12, yeah. I think you, you'd be doing okay. Yeah, no kidding. So the new one takes it a step further. It can actually recognize things in pictures. So if you were to submit a picture, they showed an example, a picture of, uh, you know, a dozen balloons, you know, with their strings attached, you know, helium balloons. And it asked it, what would happen if you cut the strings? That's all. And it basically looked at the picture, obviously identified what it was and what was in it. And it said, if you cut the strings, the balloons will all fly away. <laughs> but yeah. I know that, okay, for some listeners, like, oh, no big deal. Yeah. I could tell you that. Six-year-old could tell you that. Yeah, <laughs> but for a computer to look at that and, and make that yeah. logic leap... I was waiting for you to say like civilizational end. And you're like, oh, why do you say that? And then it like works it back from like ozone and, you know, blah, blah. Yeah. So there, is some all, there are some crazy new features uh, of, of this. And, you know, Microsoft is betting big on it. Yeah. They've invested $10 billion into OpenAI, the parent company uh, that, that created ChatGPT and also Stable Diffusion, the image, text-to-image engine. Can well. I tell you the thing that freaks me out? What? I feel like it's the race for AI superior leadership. You know yeah. what I mean? Like oh, totally it's a it race. Is. And then whenever anything's a race, people tend to cut corners. Do you know? Like they want to be number one. So they cheat. And that's what freaks me out. So how would they cheat? They're not well making they, sure it's getting accurate information. That's a problem, right? Because where, where do you think is getting this information? Yeah. The internet. Yeah. The cesspool of information. Yeah. So how does it know? Like... Do you understand? Like, how does it know that the information it's getting about those balloons is correct? I guess obviously it's got to go through a whole bunch of different sources, sure. but yeah. and some are maybe more trustworthy than others. I don't know how it figures that out unless humans have told it that. Mm. So there, to me, I, I can see all sorts of bias in it. Yeah. But, you know, we'll be talking with Carmi Levy about this and what some of the other guys are trying to do. Like Microsoft, smart. Betting big on these guys, mm -hmm. ChatGPT. Mm -hmm. And uh, they also announced something we'll talk about later in the program, Copilot. Microsoft's integrating ChatGPT into all of their Office products. And I'm kind of excited about it. Yeah. 
Because you'll be like, hey, word. <laughs> no, no, no. Yes. Yeah, write me this yeah. letter on uh, my letterhead yeah. or have it in Outlook and write responses and emails for me or even PowerPoints. And we'll tell you all about that. Do you like making PowerPoints? Who likes making PowerPoints? No one. Yeah. But ChatGPT does. Of course. <laughs> which is kind of kind of exciting. Um, we've talked a lot about Starlink on the program. Mm. Elon Musk's uh, satellite internet company. But there are other competitors out there. Amazon, they have something called Project Kuiper. That's uh, K-U-I-P-E-R, Project Kuiper. That's their initiative to connect people to the internet using low Earth orbit satellites. They're looking to launch the first half of 2024. And uh, they say they're going to have a, a number of different dish sizes with capabilities up to one gigabit download speeds, which is pretty fast for satellite internet. Yeah, it's interesting like to think about um, these different like communication networks that are operating kind of independently of each other. There's a lot of satellites up there, like <laughs> SpaceX, uh, Starlink, they want to launch 40,000 of these things. So obviously it takes a lot of these little satellite things to make the internet work up there. Mm -hmm. But that's just one company. What about Amazon? What about the other guy? There's other competitors that are doing this as well. Do you know how many satellites are going to be up there? Whatever happened to shortwave radio? It's still there. I know. Yeah. There's a lot of shortwave uh, people out there. Yeah. Yeah. We should, we should do a thing on that. Yeah. A segment on that. Because that's like, you know, you can talk to people like halfway around the world yeah. in shortwave if you bounce off the right cloud. <laughs> I don't even know how it works. Yeah. I'm going to look into that. You're back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. We're going to talk chat gpt again and big reason why they've uh, just uh, announced a, a new version chat gpt 4.0 to help us understand some of the new features we've got carmy levy with carmy levy with us on the line from toronto thanks for joining us again carmy good to be here mike thanks for having me for the listeners out there chat gpt is a uh, ai or artificial intelligence uh, language engine model that can do amazing things it can write essays songs poems it can do math equations uh it's a fantastic tool that just kind of popped out of nowhere in the past year and has taken the world by storm carmy uh we have been using chat gpt i think 3.5 they've just announced announced version 4 what what new things should uh, people be looking for in this so the one thing that we should know about this this announcement, and make no mistake, this is a major announcement. GPT-3 was what was known as a large language model, and LLMs are basically the they're the underpinnings of a chat of an AI-based chatbot. Um, so GPT-3 powered the original version of ChatGPT, and so basically, when you upgrade the large language model to a new version, you're essentially giving it a heart transplant, giving it way more capabilities. It's like upgrading the operating system. Um, so GPT-4 compared to GPT-3 is a significant update because whereas GPT-3 was text-based, you type things into it and it typed text-based responses to you. In this case, you can ask it using text-based commands to generate a video. Um, it, it, it's, it's much more multimedia than the text-based GPC-3 was, which of course opens up all sorts of capabilities. You can ask it to look at a video and identify the people within it or describe the scene within it and create a script around it. Of course, it has terrifying privacy-related uh, uh, issues because imagine being able to look at a photo or a video or any kind of multimedia content 
and pull out any kind of data or any kind of identifiable information from that. Um, this is taking us to some pretty frightening ethical places. But at the same time, it also means that the capabilities that we're just beginning to discover in ChatGPT, which went live last November to the public, uh, now expand into the multimedia space. And all bets are off as to you know what we can do with it. We're gonna have, just going to have to roll up our sleeves and play with this. But this basically means it is an order of magnitude more powerful than the, the same tool that we were using even a week ago. This shows some interesting examples of uh, it being used to uh, look at pictures that were input into it. One was like a, a picture of like, you know, a few dozen balloons, you know, with their strings. Uh, and, you know, you could ask it, what happens if you cut the strings in this picture? And it says yeah. the balloons will fly away. Like mm -hmm. it could identify, isn't that a, like a huge leap of lot, like knowledge and logic there? It is because, you know, you're asking it to intelligently analyze an asset or a scene and, and then intelligently describe what happens based on a, a change of state, which is, it, first of all, it takes a staggering amount of computing power um, and insight and data to be fed into the artificial intelligence engine to be even capable of this in the first place. Um, but what's a little bit concerning is that we were, we're no, we haven't even begun to figure out how this worked with text-based uh, input and output models. So, you know, the, the, the old large language model, GPT-3, which was all text-based, we still didn't have answers as to why does it come up with answers like that? Um, and not even the scientists who developed it could explain the why. And now we're moving into multimedia, which is, you know, opens up all sorts of new opportunities for analysis, insight, and misuse of saying. Um, and we still don't have those answers. So it's yet another example of technology racing ahead and our kind of ethical guide uh, uh, struggling to keep pace, which means that the potential for misuse, the potential for someone to use that um, in ways that we may not like, that might help them commit crimes or harm others, um, is significant. And we don't have any protections or guardrails to keep us safe. I, yeah, I'm still having a hard time wrapping my head around it identifying a picture. I mean, there's software out there that can identify, mm -hmm. you know, facial recognition or objects uh, in pictures. You know, great example, uh, you know, software that for, you know, people that are visually impaired, uh, you know, it can identify what's in front of them or our picture and tell them what that is. But mm -hmm. using that, that logic and then like knowing that if you cut the strings in this picture, there's balloons attached to them and they will fly. Like, how does it know that? Like, how does that figure that out? Because it has, you know, it has scanned a huge amount of, of similar assets, so similar photos and videos and other multimedia uh, components online, and it has used artificial intelligence to determine what the potential next behavior might be. Because if we looked at the old GPG-3 large language model, the way it was built was, uh, it was, you ask it a question, and then what it tries to do is tell you what it thinks will happen next. And so this is really more of the same thing, just much more sophisticated because it isn't just based on text. Um, of course, it means it has to ingest massive amounts of data uh, and, and it has to get it from the open internet. Uh, and of course, at that point, you know, all bets are off. Where, you know, where is that information being sourced from? Who is vetting it to make sure that it is truth and not mistruth? Um, you know, sort of how do we ensure that, you know, what is being ingested is legit so that what comes up the other end is similarly legit? And as we've seen with early versions of ChatGPT, there is no such assurance. And so in many cases, the answers that it would give us are outright wrong. And in some cases, for example, so the new large language model is still just as vulnerable to the kind of misinformation that we've been seeing in earlier versions of the technology. So 
as as cool as it is that you know it'll describe to you that yes when you cut the strings of those balloons those balloons are going to fly up um it's also just as likely that it'll tell you that when you cut the strings of those balloons they will then go on to strangle the dog that's standing next to you um because you know it found some kind of photoshopped video online uh, or doctor video online that trained it wrong so how do we know that it's true how do we know that it isn't we simply don't and so the potential for things like deep pics the potential for spreading misinformation on a large scale uh is very significant because once these tools are in the hands of billions of people who frankly don't need a whole lot of training to figure out how they work um, the ability for people to figure out as, a, as kind of a means of scaling up the misinformation machine uh, that to me is concerning and again they're promising that they'll put protections in place but so far based on the early testing that we're seeing that is not the case so this is this showing like signs of human intelligence now you know, some scientists claim that that's the case, uh, and and I still don't buy it. There was an engineer from Google last year who claims that uh, one of the tools that they were developing showed signs of sentience, and uh, he was ultimately, um, you know, it sparked an online, a raging online debate, and he was ultimately let go from his job, um, which, you know, to me sort of defeats the purpose. If you raise questions about it, you should be part of the discussion, not banished or canceled. Um, but, you know, I think I think we are going to see signs that it looks like it's intelligent. It's like it sort of it seems it. But we can say the same thing about earlier versions of computer technology that, frankly, looked at really human. Um, and, you know, you couldn't tell the difference between real and not real. So, uh, you know, I think it's it's uh, I think computing makes things look miraculous and real. Uh, is it really intelligent? Is it really human? No, because it's still based on uh, hoovering huge amounts of information and then trying to d divine insight from that. If if you turn off that hoovering of information, um, you know there goes your intelligence. There's there goes your input, and there goes your insight. So I don't think we're quite there yet. Will we get there eventually? I think we'll move closer toward it. I think it'll look increasingly human human like. Um, but to say that it's intelligence on the same plane as a human. Um, I don't think so. It's simply programmed to look and feel that way. I'm concerned that we are, we've let the horse out of the barn here. And I look at other technologies that have come up uh, over the years, um, you know, the internet, email marketing, and, you know, crazy stuff happened, bad stuff happened. And it took regulators and governments, you know, months, if not years to catch up to pass regulation to uh, protect consumers and, and society, you know, some some good regulations, some bad. Um, you know, how far behind are governments now mm. on AI technology in, in coming up with some sort of framework or ethical boundaries for this technology? Oh, I don't think we want to hear the answer to that one, Mike, because it's not a happy one. And, you know, for much of my career, that's exactly been my observation is that technology races ahead. And, and let's remind ourselves, technology is benign. Right? When someone introduces a new technology, it isn't good or bad, it just is. It's kind of up to us to decide whether we use it for positive or negative purposes. Um, but every technology clearly does have a dark side, and if anyone wants to you know, f you know, pursue that dark side, they're certainly welcome to it. The problem here is that technology races ahead and then, then legislation to govern uh, the, you know, the most extreme abuses of it lags far behind. And as AI starts to take root in broader society, what I'm seeing is an even greater lag. In other words, that lag between the leading edge of technology and the trailing edge of legislative protections is getting wider. Um, and listening to lawmakers in Canada and the U.S. call uh, you know, the tech leaders into committee meetings and grill them with questions, 
um, it's almost embarrassing to watch because the kinds of questions they ask and the kinds of conversations that they're having betray the fact that our elected officials really have no idea how much of this works. Um, and they really could use maybe, you know, some uh, uh, some training or grounding. You know, go out to Silicon Valley and figure out how this works. Spend some time with some of the Canadian startups then driving this technology. Learn it from the ground up. Don't just pretend to when you're asking questions in a House of Commons committee. And so, uh, you know, we as, as Canadians, you know, our role here is that the next time we vote, uh, these are questions that we should be asking, that we need to be electing individuals into government who actually have a clue about this technology, who can lead the charge to bring better legislation to bear faster that limits or reduces that gap as much as possible. We're never going to get rid of the gap. Technology just moves too quickly. But we can certainly keep things close enough, minimize that gap such to the point that we stand a reasonable chance of being protected from the kinds of abuses that we're seeing even at this early stage of AI evolution. Q large sigh. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But that kind of thing me up at night, Mike, and it's probably not going to change anytime soon, especially as AI becomes even better. And it is on a steep improvement curve, no question. But, you know, as the technology improves, so too does the potential for abuse. And so too does the, the risks that we face uh, in terms of that yawning gap between technology and law. Carmi, uh, fascinating discussion on that. I want to keep you on the line because there's another interesting story that I'm following. Elon Musk, uh, the evil genius behind Tesla, SpaceX, the boring company, so many other uh, companies, is looking to potentially build his own town. And I want to get your thoughts on that. So uh, I hope you can stick around. Yeah, we all want to live in Elon town. <laughs> Who doesn't? You're back with Get Connected. We've got Carmi Levy on the line want to talk about Elon Musk now. He is in the news weekly, if not daily, for all his uh, escapades, uh, whether he's doing other crazy things to Twitter or launching new rockets and satellites into space with SpaceX or trying to figure out autonomous driving uh, for his Tesla vehicles. Uh, but Carmi, uh, this was an interesting story. He's planning to build his own town. Is that, yeah. is that like real? Is that a real story? This is real. We're seeing reports from the Wall Street Journal that various entities connected to the companies that he leads. So Tesla, SpaceX, The Boring Company, Neuralink, um, all of uh, Musk's companies have uh, both head office and production facilities near Austin, Texas. And they've been buying up parcels of land around 3,500 acres so far um, in and around Austin. And, and uh, according to the report, they're planning on incorporating a town that they'll call Snailbrook, um, which apparently is the name of the mascot of the Boring Company. Um, and, you know, they, they've, they've shared things like county deeds, land records, emails to the city and the county, um, state licensing records and all that. So the, the, the information or the proof is all there. They're buying up huge amounts of land uh, and they want to create a town. Uh, they're going to start with uh, about 100 homes to start with. But uh, according to Musk, they want to uh, they want their employees to live in new homes with the low market rents. And as we know. Um, you know, it's always difficult, you know, especially in tech, uh, talents acquisition, talent retention is probably the biggest problem in tech today. There's a huge amount of competition for the best minds. There aren't enough skilled individuals to go around to sort of feed the market. And so 
the theory goes, if you create a company town, make it cheap for your employees to live there, give them a pool, give them an outdoor sports area and a few other amenities, uh, guess what? You make it a lot easier to like, that could be the thing that says, I want to go work for them instead of someone else. And we've seen this before. We've seen mining towns, um, you know, that were basically company towns. Uh, Arvida, Quebec, for example, was a big company town decades ago. Um, and, and so there's precedent in earlier generations and this just continues that trend. And, you know, Hey, if uh, Elon Musk gets to, you know, reuse the snail broke mascot, uh, you know, why not? I think it's an interesting experiment and it could be an interesting lesson for other tech companies that are also struggling with talent acquisition. Well, you brought up mining, uh, towns and, uh, yeah, there used to be a lot of those mining towns, you know, uh, in Canada here, you know, we're, we're out here in uh, British Columbia, Britannia beach. Uh, you know, Headley, BC as well. They had little kind of towns pop up uh, uh, that just basically serviced uh, those mines. Uh, this kind of reminds me a lot of China, to be honest, uh, Carmi. Like I've been over um, uh, to like Shenzhou and uh, Shenzhen, uh, for example, Huawei. Uh, they have their giant campus uh, out there where they've modeled all the different campuses after European cities and surrounding this campus, which is like surrounded by lakes and its own rail system. There's giant towers that house all the employees. Like everything they need is just kind of in that whole town slash campus. And, uh, you know, they get the subsidized housing and they're just like a hop, skip and jump away from the office or factory, yeah. depending what it is. Take a, take a look at the iPhone, uh, you know, that's in your pocket. That was probably made at uh, either Foxconn or, or Pegatron facilities in China that follow that very same highly integrated model. So employees work and live and shop and their kids go to school all within that same planned community. Um, you know, what what better way than to consolidate hundreds of thousands of people uh, on your employee roles in one area and to ensure that you have access to the human capital that will drive your business? It's granted, it's easier to do in a country that, you know, you know doesn't have the same human rights record that other countries do. But uh, you know, it clearly has worked for China's economy and certainly on a, on a different scale um, here in the, or, you know, here in North America, um, it certainly is, is something that considering the challenges in talent acquisition in recent years uh, that uh, Elon Musk is willing to try. And I, I'd be willing to bet that other companies will be watching that, that experience outside Austin and asking themselves if they should be doing the same thing. Considering the challenges that we as individuals are currently facing in terms of spiraling interest rates, uh, huge inflation, unaffordable housing, um, it makes sense to look at other society level models to address these challenges and, you know, look to history for when com benevolent companies uh, built these kinds of resources for the benefit of their employees. And that addresses a lot of the challenges that we're seeing in broader society today. So it'll be an interesting experiment to see if uh, Elon Musk's town outside of Austin, A, first takes shape, B, um, what kind of impact that will have not, not only on his uh, particular companies, communities of employees and stakeholders, but other companies who are watching this very closely and asking, gee, should we be doing the same thing? We could be, and again, this is early stages, of course, but we could be on the verge of, 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 a, of a shift in terms of how we view uh, where we live, where we work, how we fund all of those activities, um, and you know, how much of our lives are we willing to revolve around the employers who employ us? Um, this is going to be an interesting story to watch over the next few months and years. It's fascinating because, you know, we're looking at all these hybrid working models now as well. Do you think we're going to see an exodus from some of these 
large tech cities like Silicon Valley, you know, out to new cities created by Google or Amazon? It's interesting because you know, even before the pandemic hit, you know, you know big tech companies were having, uh, were very controversially involved in, um, you know, uh, busing a lot of their employees from, say, San Francisco to their uh, Silicon Valley offices. And, you know, there, there was a intense debate over the, you know, literally unattainable price of housing in cities like San Francisco, the inability for high paid engineers to afford to live even remotely close to where they worked. Um, and so this could potentially be, and I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here, but this kind of model could be one of the answers to that, that problem, to that question, that challenge. Um, in that, you know, the model that we have now certainly doesn't work, but if you're making high six figures and you still can't afford to rent even a basic apartment in a decent part of town without a massive commute to your office, maybe we've got to rethink the whole, the whole approach. Maybe we've got to rethink how society, um, employs and houses and compensates its people. Um, and so as an, as a grand scale experiment, I say, bring it on. Um, and you know, who better to do it than someone with you know, frankly, you know, deep pockets, billions of dollars, uh, and a willingness to try things, uh, despite what people might say. And again, I am not, uh, uh, you know, Elon Musk's biggest fan. I'm probably not even his smallest fan. Um, but the fact that he's willing to roll the dice on this, I think it's worth watching. I've been talking with Carby Levy all about Elon Musk's new city of the future, potentially happening in Texas. Thanks for joining us, Carby. So great being here, Mike. Thank you. You're back with the program. Mike and AJ here in studio. Microsoft has announced Microsoft Copilot. This is their integration of the chat GPT AI language model engine into Microsoft Office 365. I so want to try this. I know. I'm, I'm pretty jazzed about it because I use Office 365 all the time. Mm -hmm. I use Outlook. I use Excel, Word, reluctantly. PowerPoint, yeah, <laughs> but they were kind of showing off some of the things it can do. Like in Excel, it can look at a spreadsheet and you can basically, you know, tell it, uh, can you make me a chart out of this or a whatever, a graph. Yeah. yeah. And instead of like you figuring that out, it just does it. Like you don't have to learn pivot tables now because. Yeah. And okay. Listeners who knows what a pivot table is. Yeah. Right. No one. I like you guys who do though. <laughs> <laughs> do you know pivot tables? Yeah. I learned, but I've, other things have come in my brain and pushed that out, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. But it, um, it's also capable of going into your OneDrive, which is part of Office 365. It's your cloud storage yeah. where you can keep your pictures and your files and everything. So you could actually get it to, for example, create, and they use this example, a PowerPoint for your daughter's graduation. And it will go in and find pictures of your daughter and create all the different subjects for that, that PowerPoint. First birthday. Yes. Yeah. Can you see how much time that would save? Oh my gosh. Yeah. And it'll do like, if you want it, you know, PowerPoint's got all these animations and stuff you can do, but do you ever use them? No. I'll tell you why I don't, because things, it's hard. Yeah. It's easy, but it's hard because yeah. things go wrong with them. Well, you have to sort of like think it through. You have to sort of put things in the right order. You yeah. Know? Yeah. But anyway, you can get it to do all of that just by telling it, wow. just kind of typing it in. So when, so when do people get to get their hands on this? Soon. Very soon. Um, also, with Outlook, it, uh, again, basically can use the engine and it can respond 
to emails for you. Oh, write responses. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it can write you a whole, you know, an introduction letter through Word. Can you imagine all the spam emails? You could actually literally just have it like create these like wild conversations. <laughs> I, that's what I'm. I'm telling you, I'm concerned now. Yeah. Because I get a lot of spam. Sure. And how much more am I going to get now? But not just spam, but also what about the stuff that is like sort of like services emails, you know, like people wanting to offer you some kind of service and they just like email you and email you and email you and email you about some type of service that you might want to subscribe to. Yeah. Just to have, have it'll it. be relentless. Yeah. Cause you hey, can get, you can pilot. You, <laughs> yeah. Well, you can get it to create the whole email automated funnel yeah. and then all the different email responses and, and letters in like the blink of an eye. I would enter every contest if I had that. Would you? <laughs> <laughs> this to me, this puts Microsoft in a whole new light now. Like all the other guys are scrambling. Like Facebook, mm. Meta, their parent company, it's laid off ten thousand people, and they bet they bet hard on the the metaverse. Yeah, and what's the race isn't about the metaverse right now anymore. No, it's about AI. Yeah. So what, like, can you imagine the panic happening there? But even in, in Google, like, it's like code red there. Like, they are switching all the resources over to AI. Well, I've talked about this before. This is the part that freaks me out. You know, because there's going to be this race for, for uh, you know, superior AI. And, you know, at what point is AI uh, actually potentially dangerous? It's well, I think it's dangerous now, don't you? Yeah, well, I mean... Like the misinformation that it could sure. then, then be used to populate. So think about this. You know how um, there was all that issues about the um, the previous U.S. elections being influenced sure. by Russian hackers and offshore entities? Well, now they've got AI engines that can make all sorts of content, like customized content. Just pump like it out. In yeah. seconds. Yeah. Instead of liking having like just a few standardized kind of messages. So it looks even more human. I, I don't know. And so another interesting thing, you know, we've, a lot of people use Zoom. Microsoft's version is called Teams. Mm -hmm. And so imagine this now. You've just had like an hour-long meeting with everybody mm -hmm. with this integration into uh, Microsoft Office 365, uh, ChatGPT can basically listen in and then at the end of that meeting, basically summarize the meeting for mm. everyone. Wow. How great would that be? Oh my gosh. No note taker required. <laughs> can you imagine how well it would be documented too? Yeah. Because there's always someone that needs to summarize it. Yes. And it's always... Typically the same person that gets stuck with it. Yeah. But now you've got an AI probably doing it even better than the humans. Your little co-pilot. Right? Yeah. <laughs> co-pilot. So Microsoft Copilot is the new integration of ChatGPT4 coming to Office 365 uh, very soon. Uh, another thing I wanted to talk about, I think up here in Canada, you know, if you do watch TV and maybe even scan the internet, uh, we all know who Ryan Reynolds is. Mm -hmm. Canadian treasure national treasure <laughs> he's a smart business guy as well yeah. he's got his hands in a number of different things he's got his own aviation gin uh he owns a football team 
co-owns a football team over in the UK. And he is also uh, part uh, minority owner of Mint Mobile. And so Mint Mobile is a, uh, a discount uh, telecom service down in the US. You can get plans starting at 15 bucks a month. Mm-hmm. I wish I could get that here. No kidding. Right? Yeah. They just got purchased for $1.35 billion <laughs> by T-Mobile. Wow. It's, isn't that incredible? Did Ryan Reynolds need more money? No. 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 <laughs> he, could, he could give me a little, but... Um, yeah, so again, Mint Mobile, it's like a budget-friendly mobile carrier. Um, he's I wonder not, why he, something like that's going to hit Canada. It, we're not set up for it. No. No. We're not. Because yeah. you've got the big the big guys, then they've got their flanker brands. You know, Bell's got Virgin. Yeah. Telus has got Kudo. Rogers has got Chatter. There's also even more outside of those, but yeah. typically they're all owned by the big the big guys. Yeah. But you know, there's all these. Uh, there's also a few virtual mobile carriers, but they're really kind of um, limited and hamstrung by what they can offer. Like these companies like Mint Mobile, they, they don't even have to own any infrastructure. They can just kind of buy access on the big carriers and it's just open to that. Yeah. Whereas in Canada, it's not the same. No. Getting that access is, yeah. the, is the challenge. So again, it just, it's the competition thing, right? Mm. And I don't know why the government just not, why doesn't it open up like the US like that? They kind of try to, but look, look what happened last time, right? Um, Wind Mobile, yeah, was born. Yeah, our friend Anthony Lacavera um, from Global Live started that. Uh, he got a foreign investor involved with that, but uh, eventually just couldn't make it a, a go of it. And Shaw bought it, mm-hmm. and now Rogers has bought Shaw. <laughs> <laughs> um, they don't get to keep the mobile part; they have to divest themselves. But I think that's going to Videotron in Quebec. Mm. So I, I don't know. I just. You just see when there is competition in the marketplace, especially in the telecom space in Canada, when there is like a, a fourth major carrier, uh, like in Saskatchewan, for example, and Quebec, the rates there for the big three are cheaper. Mm. Weird. <laughs> like, why can't the government look at that and go, hey, competition, competition kind of works. Yeah. Like, wh- why... Why do the, the big guys not offer those same rates that they do in these more competitive markets in the big one markets like BC and Ontario? That's rhetorical. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's kind of sad though, right? Mm. Um, so as far as this Mint Mobile, Ryan Reynolds is probably going to get a good paycheck. I don't know what percentage he uh, owns, uh, but I think he's going to be doing okay. And it looks like he's still going to help uh, promote it. Because he's kind of the face of it, if you've seen the ads. Yeah. His little snarky, clever, witty ads. <laughs> but um, yeah, so uh, again, um, it's it's a mobile network virtual operator, what they call an MVNO, which we just can't seem to get. Here. $15. Yeah. Cheap. It's not bad, eh? Yeah. I know friends, like, because I go down the US a lot, and so, so do some of my friends. They've actually just bought, like, plans on Mint mobile because it's cheaper than roaming Mm. like even just bought like monthly plans even though they might go down there just you know five to ten times a year not every month but it still works out cheaper than roaming down there yeah i bet which is a a little uh crazy okay uh we still uh 
have uh, a little bit of time, I just want to give a, uh, a shout out to our other program, the, uh, the App Show. On uh, tomorrow's program, we will be covering Bill C-18. Uh, Facebook's uh, parent company, Meta, is uh, threatening to shut off the news on Facebook if it goes through as is. Buggers. Uh, we'll also be talking about the tech layoffs and uh, why we should be concerned about that. <laughs> Facebook is uh, laying off another 10,000 people. And we'll be talking about uh, a company called Parachute, uh, a really cool uh, company, a fintech company out, out of Toronto that's part of uh, Intuit's uh, Business Accelerator program. Very cool. Thanks for coming in today, AJ. Yeah, good to see you. I want to thank everyone else that helps put the program together. We'll see you again next time.